0: As uh, you're returning to your seats, I want to take a moment and uh, dismiss the children at this time for a uh, Kids Connection. A uh, couple uh, uh, brief announcements that uh, this Wednesday kicks off our Iwana program. If you want more information about that, that's on the back panel of the bulletin. Uh, looking forward to another great year in Awana. Also, uh, there is uh, next Sunday in my office uh, during the, the Sunday school time at 10.15, I'm going to be having an, uh, a meeting uh, that's just a, a baptism information meeting. If you have questions about baptism, uh, maybe that uh, you have, have a, a child that has expressed interest in baptism, or you yourself, you you have trusted Christ as your Savior, but you haven't followed Him in the step of baptism. I'm going to have a, a short meeting uh, next week just to give you more information about that kind of explain uh, the process to you. We're looking at uh, having a, a baptism service coming up uh, next month and want to be able to uh, offer this opportunity to you. Uh, I, uh, I've appreciated that the number of you that have uh, been praying for uh, my family's transition, uh, we are uh, getting ready to close on our house in Beaverton. Everything seems to be lined up for Thursday, so if you please just be praying for that, that everything uh, flows according to schedule there. that we're able to close on, our, on a house here next Friday. So uh, we thought that uh, what better way to celebrate the Cherokee Strip Heritage <laughs> celebration than doing need to a house. Uh, so that's what we'll be doing. This has been this has been a, a good process for us, reminding us to be patient. That uh, that the Lord is the Lord of house closings. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, thank you for your support and your prayers on that. And uh, uh, if you have a truck, oh, we would be your friends next weekend. <laughs> <laughs> and Please, uh, and, and my way it says, and longer not just friends for the truck. So, <laughs> Please uh, join me in prayer if you would this morning. Heavenly Father, as, as we come and we open up your word, I pray that, that you would show us wonderful truths. Truths for us as a whole church, but the truths for each person who's here this morning. That it be light in darkness, warmth, and the cold. I pray that we would be blessed by your spirit this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I would invite you to turn to Acts chapter 20. Acts 20, uh, I began a, a short series of messages last Sunday on uh, this passage. We're going to look at uh, one section of it this morning and then finish up next week as his way to Jerusalem, wrapping up his third missionary journey, um, calling the elders of the church of Ephesus to himself. This is the last time he's going to see these men, and he wants to to pass on to them what his his final words for them to to take in, to remember. uh, And in this, Paul is is giving them a vision of, of this is what it means for you to remain vibrant as a church. And we want to pay attention to that, not only if it's going to be uh, for the vibrancy of the church of Ephesus, this is a charge for us, as what it will mean for us to be a vibrant church here at EMB. So would you follow along with me, Acts chapter 20, we're going to look at verses 17 through 27 this morning. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God." This year marks a significant low in our nation's recent history. If you've been following the presidential election, you're probably aware that that the majority of Americans are not excited about this year's presidential election. That uh, polling data shows that the majority of people who say they're going to vote for one of the major candidates, Actually, are voting because they dislike the other candidate more. <laughs> so the majority of people are voting for who they're voting for just because they don't like the other person. There was uh, the Dallas Morning News it uh, made headlines this week as they uh, are endorsing a Democrat for president for the first time since World War II, and the endorsement as- almost with an apology as uh, the they were. The comment was that uh, that Hillary Clinton warts and all. and That's not my word. That's their word. Uh, that we at least know more what we're getting. And it was almost like this resignation. That look at what we're stuck endorsing. As an American, this is disheartening. That this is our you know, this is our political process. This is where we've got to. But you know, I I think that underneath us as Americans, there is our identity as Christians. And as Christians, we should not be disheartened. Yes, there's a sense where I think it's it's okay for us to be disappointed that uh, our political process seems to be headed in the wrong direction. But as Christians, we should be reminded that our hope has never been in the government that this is is actually a good time to remind ourselves that that we do not place our hope in human institutions, that our hope is in Christ. And and Christ has promised that there is one institution that will not be overcome, and that is the church. That Jesus said, on this rock I build my church, and the gates of hell will never overcome it. So in the disappointment that is expressed in our human government, we should not be disheartened as Christians because this is an opportunity for the church to demonstrate its vibrancy. And that's why I think that a passage like this is very relevant for our life as a church. As Paul is saying to these elders in Ephesus, he's saying to us, here's what you need to remain vibrant as a church. And Paul is giving us a vision for vibrancy that in the midst of a country that is losing hope and its leaders, that we can demonstrate the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. And so the main message that Paul is giving to this church, to these elders, the message that he would have for us, I've printed for you in your notes, we looked at it overall last week, the vibrancy of a church depends on God's preservation. He does that through a robust faithfulness to the gospel, Christ-exalting examples, and compassionately vigilant leaders. I'm going to look more closely at the first two ingredients this morning as Paul is talking about them here in this text, and then next week we'll wrap it up by by looking at how God preserves the church through compassionately vigilant leaders. So how is it that, that God would have us to maintain our vibrancy as a church Paul's going to show us from his life that it happens through Christ-exalting examples and through a robust faithfulness to the gospel. First of all, I want us to see Paul's Christ-exalting example. We see that in verses 18 and 19. And then we're going to look at what it was that, that Paul actually, how did Paul demonstrate Christ in his life? How is it that Paul made much of Christ? That Paul's driving aim with his life is that attention would be brought to Jesus, that that was what gave his life purpose and value. Look with me at verse twenty-four, where he says, "But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus." So, how is it that Paul actually did this? How did Paul exalt Christ? How did Paul live his life in a way that people saw that whatever was happening in his life was really owing to Jesus Christ? He did it, first of all, with a particular mindset. Paul adopted a mindset from the very beginning, and, and we see that in verse 19. Paul says, serving the Lord. Paul had this mindset of service to God. That he saw himself as a servant of the Lord. This is not just a mindset that he just took on himself as an apostle. This is something that he calls all believers to adopt this identity. To be have the identity that you are a servant of the Lord. Listen to Colossians 3 verse 23. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for man. So so underneath every other identity that that you put on, underneath that identity as a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a servant of the Lord. So so tomorrow morning, whether you are are going into the office or you're going into the classroom, whether you are working at home or you are working out in the field, that you do that as a servant of the Lord. And you have confidence that when you take on this identity that you are a servant of the Lord, anything that you do can be offered up to God and can be pleasing to Him. And the way that Paul then lived out this identity as a servant of the Lord, there were three particular traits where Paul set an example for us. This is how a servant of the Lord lives. This is how a servant of the Lord lives within the church, but also out in the world. And the first quality here that Paul shows is that Paul exalted Christ with humble service. Paul exalted Christ with humble service. Look at there in verse 19. Serving the Lord with all humility. When you think about humility, there's there's a lot of misconceptions about what humility is. C.S. Lewis, I think, put it very well when, when he said... Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. When you think about it, who is the most humble person who has ever lived? We're in church. It's not really a trick question. The answer really is Jesus. <laughs> Jesus really is the most humble person who's ever lived. And, and Jesus said, he said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. On the night where Jesus was betrayed, the Gospel of John tells us that Jesus wanted to show his disciples, this is the (coughs) full extent of my love. And what did he do? He he took off his robes, set it aside, wrapped a towel around his waist, and then he went and he washed his disciples' feet. As Jesus knelt down and watched his disciples speak, he shows them his love. But what is he doing? He's proving his humility. You know, do, you, do you want to grow in humility? That's probably a bad question. <laughs> we don't want to grow in humility, but we need to grow in humility. You need to grow in humility. How do you do it? But you, the way to grow in humility is to focus on love. Seek to grow in love. Humility is this oak that grows from the acorn of love. Take time studying 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13 gives us this great picture of love. And if you work at practicing love, humility will be displayed in your life. Paul exalted Christ by demonstrating humble service. Secondly, Paul exalted Christ with heartfelt service. Paul exalted Christ through heartfelt service. Look again with me in verse 19. It says, serving the Lord with tears. Paul served the Lord with tears. When Paul went to Ephesus, he invested his heart. If you look down at, at verse 31, he says it again. I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Now on this, uh, there's a caution and an instruction. Because not all tears are spiritual. We shouldn't just think of crying automatically as spiritual. In in 2 Corinthians 7, Paul actually contrasts worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. You remember Esau. Esau lost the blessing from his father and and he wept. But we're told he, he did not repent of selling his birthright. So we there are going to be times it, where where tears are shed, and, and they're not really godly tears. There's been times in ministry where I've cried, but but the reason why I've been brought to tears is simply because my own agenda has been frustrated. It's my own reputation that has been damaged. See, there are There's a caution to this. We, we shouldn't just automatically say that, that, that crying is spiritual, but there is an instruction here. The instruction for us is that if we are going to set a Christ-exalting example, we have to invest our lives. We have to give our hearts to other people. This is is a great vision for our gospel communities, that that these are places where we will invest in one another's lives, where we will give our hearts to one another. Paul was wanting to, to send Timothy to the church in Philippi. And as he's sending Timothy to the church there, he writes to the church, this is why I'm sending Timothy to you. Philippians 2.20, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. You want to grow in, in heartfelt service. Be genuinely concerned for the welfare of other people. You know, I, when we gather together on Sunday mornings, one of the things that we do is we have the greeting time. And this isn't just a just time to fill the service, get the screen up, right? get the kids moving. This is actually an opportunity for us to be able to offer heartfelt service. We can take a genuine interest in one another through this time of greeting. This shouldn't just be a time where, where all we do is, is talk to our friends that we may haven't seen uh, for a week. This, this is an opportunity to look around because this time of greeting, there's been a, a survey that was, was taken of people who came and visited churches. And when they asked them what they didn't like about the service, the top ten answers uh, were recorded in <clears throat> One of the, the highest rated ones that people, visitors didn't like, was the greeting time. Because there was nothing like the greeting time that made them feel like they didn't belong. And what a simple way for us as a church to show a genuine interest in the welfare of other people during the greeting time, looking for those who are new and just giving them a genuine welcome. Showing an interest in the welfare of others. This is Paul thinking, this is how I'm exalting Christ, offering heartfelt service to the Lord. Thirdly, Paul offered heartfelt, uh, or Christ-exalting example. Paul was a Christ-exalting example with persevering service. He served with humility. He served with tears. He served with perseverance. Look with me at verse 19. Serving the Lord with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. Now we... When Paul wrote in to, to Ephesus, he's, he began teaching in the synagogue, but we're told that after he'd been teaching for a few months that there was opposition from the Jews, and so he left his, his teaching in the synagogue and went to the hall of Tyrannus. That may be what Paul is referring to right here. We don't know exactly for sure, but, but we do know that, that Paul saw that serving the Lord was a time where we're going to encounter trials. And there's a particular uh, word for trials here. This this word trials comes from a Greek word that's also translated temptation. Because serving the Lord means that that you are going to encounter difficulty. And and when you encounter difficulty in serving the Lord, there is temptation. There's a temptation to, to back off. You know, Jesus, you know I love you. You know my heart. Why do I have to suffer? That, that when we encounter difficulty in serving the Lord, there's the temptation uh, to shrink back. That, you know, God knows my heart. He knows I love it. I don't do I really have to go through hardship in life. That, there's a temptation when, when we encounter hardship of serving the Lord to think that, you know, what am I doing wrong? What what why is God why has God left me? Uh, there are times where hardship in life is God's way of saying, come back to me. But, but Paul understood that hardship was a normal part of serving the Lord. He served with perseverance. And, and the reason Paul was able to serve with perseverance, the reason why he was able to go through suffering is that he saw that in suffering, this is where he drew closest to the Lord. This is where he, he really uh, experienced the nearness of Christ. Philippians uh, 3, verse 8 and verse 10. Paul says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. You hear that Paul is saying, I I suffered, but I didn't lose because I gained Christ. And then he says in verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings. Paul was a Christ-like example by offering persevering service. But Paul sets an example of Christ with his life in humility, humility, in heartfelt service, in persevering service, and then Paul demonstrates a robust faithfulness to the gospel. Paul, I want to look at Paul's robust faithfulness to the gospel, you'll see this in verses 20 and 21, and then again in verses 25 to 27. So, So Paul now turns his attention to these men, he says, remember my life, remember how I live, model how I live, and then remember what I said, remember my message. Robust faithfulness to the gospel means that words are going to have to be spoken. Look at all the different ways Paul talks about how he spoke the gospel. Look with me first in verse 20. Where he says, I did not shrink from declaring. And then in verse 21, testifying. Jump down with me to verse 25. Where Paul says that I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom. Verse 27, I did not shrink from declaring. There's a, a popular statement that, that says, uh, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. <laughs> Paul would say, you have to use words. If you don't use words, you haven't proclaimed the gospel. That Our lives demonstrate the, the power of the gospel, our lives demonstrate the presence of the gospel, but, but the gospel must be spoken. A robust faithfulness to the gospel means that we must speak words. And then, a robust faithfulness to the gospel calls for a response. Look with me, uh, as Paul says in verse, uh, or in verse 21, testifying both to Jews and the Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So, so Paul's ministry was about, about speaking words. This is the gospel. The gospel is the good news that the perfect and good creator of the universe has reconciled rebellious sinners like you and me to himself through the death of his son, Jesus Christ, substituting himself in our place, taking on himself the punishment that we deserve, and on the third day raised from the dead and seated at the right hand of God in heaven. And all who believe in him and repent of their sin receive the gift of eternal life. See, words are spoken. It's an announcement about what Christ has done. There's nothing for you to do. It's what Christ has done. Now the response is a response of repentance and a response of faith. Repentance comes from a a Greek word, metanoia. It means to turn the mind. It's a change of mind. Repentance is is changing your mind about who God is. It's it's changing your mind about your sin. It's it's changing your mind about what is the most important things in life. It's it's a turning. It's it's a turning from yourself, and it's a turning to God. And that always is is matched with faith. See, See, faith... Is, is a confidence that God will fulfill His promise. Faith is trusting that, that Jesus died on the cross in your place. It's trusting that God will give you the forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life. I don't want this just for this morning to be something that's in your head. This, this is a call. This is a call to respond. And if you are here this morning, and and maybe you, you've known these facts, you, you've you've known the words, you've known the stories, but but for you, there hasn't been that change in your heart. You haven't turned from yourself to God. You have not found the confidence that Jesus died for you, and your faith is not in Him. And don't leave this morning without. Coming forward after the service, I would love the opportunity to answer questions you may have, even to pray with you. Because this is what it means to know Christ it's it's a turning from sin and turning to Him and receiving eternal life. Paul knew that robust faithfulness to the gospel calls for a response. Lastly, robust faithfulness to the gospel calls for both gravity and gladness. Robust faithfulness to the gospel calls for gravity and gladness. The stakes are incredibly high when we talk about the gospel. Look with me at what Paul says in verse 26. Therefore I testify to you this day, I am innocent of the blood of all. What's Paul talking about? He says, I'm innocent of the blood of all. See, Paul knows that that the gospel is, is the dividing point in humanity between those who are alive and those who are dead. And anyone who is not rescued from the kingdom of darkness, anyone who is not rescued from sin will spend an eternity separated from God in hell. Blood will be spilled. And Paul said I don't want that on my head. I want you to know the truth. I want you to know what is at stake in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is a gravity to this that that we dare not diminish. Revelation 20 verse 15 says, and if anyone's name was not found in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This is why... The mission of the church has to be bigger than simply gathering together and getting good advice for life. The, the mission of the church has to be better than, than simply giving people an inspiring word or, or getting out in the community and, and filling the gaps in, in the social uh, needs of, of the community. It has to be bigger than that. Because eternity is at stake. The Blood will be spilled. There's a gravity to it. And yet, there is, with this gravity, a gladness. There is a gladness to the gospel that that we have been saved by the happiest being in the universe. And I I think Paul's touching on, on the gladness that we should find in the gospel in verse 20. When Paul says, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. Anything that was profitable. Paul didn't simply say, I I told you everything that was true. He said, I told you everything that was profitable. And why is it that Paul says, I told you everything that was profitable? Because when you think about what's profitable, what are you thinking about? When you think about the the assets that you have, the activities that you're engaged in, when you think about what's profitable, what is it that's coming to your mind? The things that are coming to your mind are are the things that are going to lead to your happiness. That when you think about what is profitable, it's it's the things that are going to tend towards satisfaction in your life. And that is what the gospel calls us to. The gospel calls us to gladness. The gospel calls us to find what is most deeply satisfying in life. The gospel calls us to what is most truly profitable in life. So there should be a gladness that is is found as we are faithful to the gospel. There's gravity for sure, but there's not just gravity, there's gladness. That those who belong to Jesus Christ one day are gonna stand before him and you are going to hear the words, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Robust faithfulness to the gospel calls for gravity. Robust faithfulness to the gospel calls for gladness. Our world is longing to find something that is, is worth giving their lives to. Uh, Our world is is longing to find assets. They're longing to find experiences. What will make life worthwhile? What will bring meaning to life? Paul found it. He found it, and we see him say it in verse uh, 24. I do not count my life of any value or as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. There's no amount of things that are unseen for Paul, no amount of, of things that are unknown, that there, there's imprisonments that are coming, and he can say, I found what's really worthwhile. I found what will give my life meaning. I found what, what makes my life precious. And it's devoting myself fully to Christ. Nicholas Ludwig von Zissendorf. Franz Zisendorf was a German born in 1700. And he founded a community of people. They called themselves Herrenhut, the Lord's Watch. And early on in the life of this community, 1727, they started a prayer vigil. Praying around the clock, 24 hours, different members of the community would, would commit to praying for an hour and they, in the life of, of this community, they had unbroken prayer that lasted for almost a 100 years. Never stop praying. And God used this community in, in 1792. 65 years later, this community sent out 300 missionaries to the unreached peoples of the world to the West Indies, to Greenland, to Lapland, Turkey, and North America. Utterly and radically dedicated to making the gospel of Jesus Christ known. Paul set a Christ-exalting example. Von Zizendorf and the Hook community, the Moravians, set a Christ-exalting example. They were robustly faithful to the gospel. Oh, may we be a church That follows in Paul's footsteps. May we be a church that that follows in the Moravian's footsteps. May we be a church that follows in the footsteps of our Lord. May we be a church that's a Christ-exalting example. Robustly faithful to the gospel. May we finish the course. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father. I want to pray for my brothers and sisters this morning. God, I I pray that that we would be a church that doesn't draw attention to ourselves, that when people see us, they see Christ in our example. May we be a church that remains faithful to the gospel, robustly faithful to the gospel, that it would be all-encompassing for us Father, I pray for any who are here this morning that that have heard this message as as outsiders, as as on the fringe, may they be brought in. May they be brought into your family through repentance and faith. May they be brought into this family of believers in Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, in it every